the Pastor's Cut podcast for the week of August 28th, 2022, and uh, I'm just sitting here with Dave McPherson, and um, Marissa is with us here in spirit, I guess. I, I suppose so. She is taking her daughter, her oldest daughter, to middle school for the first time. I think no. it's some... That's I not know. right. I, I agree. I, yeah. It, it makes us all feel a little old, doesn't it? So speaking of that, I have a little bit of trivia this week. That, that just worked out rather nicely. Um, Dave, you might not know this. Brad, I know you will. Do y'all remember the Jetsons, the old cartoon TV show from the 60s? Brad, you remember them? I do. Did you yes. used to watch them in Fort Gibson? Uh, yes, the two houses that I knew that had televisions, yes. Oh, very nice. Were they color TVs? <laughs> they were not, initially. You know. Oh, my gosh. Was, was oh, there sound? Were they talkies, or were you just... Uh... No, there was sound. You okay. had to uh, hold the rabbit ears with one hand and let the signal flow through nice. your body. It was nice. Yeah. Nice. So did you did you watch the Jetsons, Dave? I watched the reruns of the Jetsons, yes. <coughs> the reruns. The yeah. reruns. Okay, so I, I ran across this. George Jetson, believe it or not, in that whole 1960s series, they, they at one point, or at least in one episode, gave his birthday. So George Jetson's birthday is July 31st, 2022. Wow. So that far-off future date is actually here. So somewhere out there is a baby George Jetson. Here's the crazy question. Did someone actually name their child George Jetson? Knowing that that was his birthday, that was born on July 31st. I'm sure there might have been a super fan out there somewhere, either a grandparent or a great-grandparent, that probably lobbied for that. So, isn't that interesting? (laughs) Time goes by fast. (laughs) Flying cars are next. I'm telling you. They invented flying cars a while back. The problem is you have to have a pilot's license to operate them. Yeah, details, details. And they only had it came with a price tag of, I don't know, like a half million dollars. Man. Jump change. Let's buy two. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Different colors. All right, so let's get uh, let's get into the teaching for this week. We're covering, uh, still in our teaching series on anger, this is Luke chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 51 through 55, Jesus and his disciples as they go through a Samaritan village. But let me give a word to community group teachers. Uh, of course, I get a lot of feedback about a lot of stuff. Um, and most of it's about me. But every now and then, people say, hey, I just want you to know what's going on in my community group. And really, the only frustration I've heard with people using the pastor's cut is some people say, I feel like it's a rehash of the sermon, that we're just kind of covering the same ground. And and I want to talk to the teachers specifically. Um, don't just rehash things. There is an infinite amount of wisdom and knowledge to be found in the Scripture. And every time we read the Scripture, something new should pop out. There are insights that you're going to have that I am not going to have in one 30-minute sermon on Sunday morning. So I would encourage you, when you get the pastor's cut on Thursday, and you usually get it about 10 days out, start reading the Scripture then, before you even look at the material. Read the Scripture. Pray over the Scripture. Ask God for insight. Don't, Don't just be piggybacking off, and please, we try to develop great material for you to use, and here in this podcast, that the goal of this podcast is to equip you to teach this on your own and giving a different insight to it. So um, my, my encouragement is don't recycle, go deeper. Go deeper into the teaching. Dave, you look like you got something to say. Of course. So, so as we write the Pastor's Cut, we always have a writer that's different from whoever's speaking on the weekend services, so it's going to have a different angle. It'll have a different perspective. 
And part of, as we write the Pastor's Cut, it's designed to stimulate conversation, and, and so we have a lot of discussion questions that are built in that are designed to move in that direction, but are typically topics or, or looking at the Scripture from a little bit of a different lens than, than what you preach on Sunday mornings or what I'm preaching on a Sunday morning. So it's worth investing the extra hour, two hours, just looking at Scripture, praying through, asking God for wisdom before you hear Darren speak, because then you'll go in with fresh eyes. Sure, you get to hear some great content from Darren, but you don't have to rehash that because there's plenty of other content that's there. Right, and hopefully, and I'm going to try to be step up a little bit too and say in this Pastor's Cut podcast, it, once or twice in here I will say, okay, if I were teaching this in a small group, here's a question I would ask, or if I were teaching this, I would drive home this point. So uh, I try to bring a little different flavor to this podcast that, that I do the message, but please, I'm asking you, don't... don't um, it's easy just to rely on the material and not be thinking and praying for ourselves. So I'm asking you as teachers and leaders to, to step up and go deeper, all right? So uh, let's jump in with this uh, Pastor's Cut podcast, starting in Luke 9, verse 51. Now I want to give you a flavor of where Luke is in his gospel, and this is just a very loose outline, but the whole first part of the gospel of Luke is who is Jesus? And that kind of reaches its apex uh, in the earlier part of chapter 9 where Peter is having a discussion with Jesus. It starts in verse 18 and goes down through verse 20, and it's, it's this moment of you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. Okay, so Luke spends the first half of his gospel answering that question, who is Jesus? Here it is in big letters, you are the Messiah. So the rest of the gospel of Luke, really starting in Luke 9:51 on to chapter 19 is what Jesus is about to do, where he's going, his trek to Jerusalem. So we see here this passage is kind of a hinge of the gospel moving from who Jesus is, now that we've established that, to what he is going to do as far as his sacrifice for our sin to restore our relationship with God. And so verse 51 is that, if you could imagine a, a hinge in the gospel, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, Dave, comment here on uh, the Gospel of Luke by and large, or what you see here in this passage. So yeah, it, it's interesting to look at this passage as, as the hinge point. Um, the disciples immediately before, uh, you know, earlier in, in chapter 9, they, they saw Jesus on at the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and with Moses on the mountain. They, they got to spend time with Elijah and Moses and see some incredible conversations happening with Jesus. Uh, as we come to this passage, we, we see that Jesus is setting his face in a different direction. The Greek text there literally says that, that he's, he's determined to go in a different direction, or he's, he's taken his face and he's shifted his focus to look towards Jerusalem. Also, you know, play off of that, they just saw Elijah. They, they, I would imagine the disciples are thinking Jesus was the one anticipated as Elijah, who would come with judgment, that would come to, to establish the kingdom of God firmly on earth as it is in heaven, and the word that's used, that, in, that Luke uses here in 951, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, that's actually the same word that's used in the Septuagint, the same word in the Old Testament that describes Elijah ascending up into heaven. And so there's, there's almost this anticipation in the text that Luke is setting us up to assume Jesus is going to be the next Elijah. 
as, as we transition to this next part of Luke, Luke is, is reminding us something big is about to happen, but it might not be quite like you expect it. Yeah. In fact, if I were teaching this, uh, I would at least revisit 2 Kings chapter 1 and 2. So this is the scene. Chapter 2 is where Elijah is taken up to heaven. Again, you say in the Older Testament, you're right. That, in fact, that, that word there for um, taken up to heaven, that's the only time that word is used in the New Testament because it echoes the Old Testament here. Elijah was, of course, taken up in a, in a chariot and assumed into heaven. So Jesus wouldn't go up in a chariot. He would go up on the cross, and through his death and resurrection, he would ascend back into heaven. But if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 1, this is where Elijah calls down fire on people who the king of Israel had sent to not so much arrest him, but to detain him. And so there's a lot of Elijah imagery going on here. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what Jesus does here is he's, a, I'm, I'm like Elijah in one way, then I'm about to be taken up to heaven, but I'm unlike Elijah in another way. I'm not here to call down fire on people. And that's, that's how the, the angle we're approaching here on anger. As we do this teaching series, you know, Jesus gets angry only a handful of times. In fact, I need to amend this. I originally taught that Jesus only got angry three times. Actually, he got angry four times. Once in the synagogue, once in the temple, and twice at his disciples. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. he, the majority, 50% of the time, he's angry at his disciples. One is when uh, the disciples were trying to shoo away children and Jesus got indignant. The other is here. And so um, let me just read this passage. Or Dave, why don't you just go ahead and read the whole passage? Um, Luke nine fifty one through 56, and then I we'll will. discuss it. And before I read it, I'm just going to say a precursor. There's, there's a meme that's floating around social media that says that, that people have, that secular people are destroying the Bible um, because they're omitting passages of Scripture or they're taking, out, they're taking out verses that were in the King James that aren't in the NIV. It just is a pastoral note. That's not the truth. The, the reality is, is that, that Christian scholars are looking at the oldest versions of the Bible that we have access to and as we find like the Dead Sea Scrolls, or we find other documents that are older, we're realizing that, that some editors went in that were well-meaning, that, that probably just put notes on the side that said, this is really about that, and then those notes on the side ended up becoming part of the text. And so you'll see a footnote in verse 55 and 56 that, that there might be an additional piece that was there, that if you were to read the King James, it probably would be there. It probably wasn't in what Luke wrote when Luke wrote out the letter, and so just as a side note, if, if there's anybody in the room that has any questions in your community group about that, I would just say what we have in front of us in, in the NIV, in the CSB, and other translations is probably a pretty accurate version of the Bible. We don't need to start getting pitchforks and saying there's a bunch of secularists that are trying to destroy our faith. That, that's exactly right. It's, called, it, it's the study of textual criticism. Because this was back in a day, there weren't photocopiers, so you couldn't just Xerox the Bible. Mm-hmm. You had to handwrite it. And so oftentimes, those people who were copying the Scripture took a little liberty in interpreting and adding some phrases. Uh, so, again, we go back to the oldest manuscripts we can find, which date back pretty close to the time of Jesus. We say the most reliable evidence we have is here's what the original writer wrote. So, Dave... Go for it. All right, here we go. Luke 9, starting in verse 51. 
As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. All right. So what one of the interpreters did here is if, if you're reading this in the King James, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on them to destroy them? And some of the manuscripts will say, as Elijah did. So somebody just kind of put that note in there to, to clarify. Now, that's what everyone was thinking, but that was not in Luke's original writing as far as we know. But, but that kind of sums up the idea here. So what's happening here? Well, Jesus and his disciples are going from the north, from Galilee, traveling down to the southern part of Israel, to Jerusalem. And in order to do that, they had to pass through Samaritan territory. And there were some racial differences between Jews and Samaritans, and this was a generational hatred between these two people. So already Jesus is tense because he knows he's turning to the cross. The disciples are tense because they're going into an area. They're going into the rough part of town where these two races don't mix well. And the Samaritans reject Jesus and his disciples. Dave, you may want to tell why. So the, the Samaritans had an expectation that the Messiah would come for them. The, there, there were all kinds of background issues, as you said, between the, the, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. At some point in, in Israel's history, as, as the northern kingdom was divided from the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom ended up, um, some were carried off, some stayed there and were forced to intermarry with, with other people groups. And so the Jewish people that were in the southern portion of, of the kingdom, they never did that. They, they were able to somehow maintain a cultural identity. So there was this racial tension that somehow they were like a half-breed, yep. but wrapped up in, in all of that as well, because they were half-breeds. The people in the southern portion said, this is the border. You can't come down south unless you are pure and undefiled, so you can't worship in Jerusalem. So they created their own system of worshiping God because they weren't allowed to, or, or maybe because they chose not to because it was too far of a journey. And so because of that, there, there's these subtle differences that, that the Samaritans didn't really want to associate with the Jewish people. The Jewish people didn't want to associate with the Samaritans. It was this, this weird love-hate relationship where they were related, but they didn't really acknowledge it. Yeah, kind of like a hate-hate relationship. <laughs> yeah, this is true. More hate-hate. Yeah, they, they had developed, uh, even though they were very racially similar, there was enough difference to spark hatred. And the Samaritans had their place of worship. They considered it to be Mount Gerizim. So anyone who was going to Jerusalem to them was a heretic. By the way, if I were teaching this, there's some... There's a hint. There's a hint right there. There's some great articles. The Samaritan people still exist today. Uh, at one point, they almost went extinct, and I'm, I'm trying to remember it, maybe Nat Geo or Smithsonian. They've done some great work on um, talking with Samaritan people today, that, that and their community really is uh, becoming vibrant again. And what Samaritans will do is they, they don't look at the entire Old Testament of Scripture, but they look at the five books of Moses. That, that is that the law is their Scripture. So they still exist today and would be a curious little side note. But they find out Jesus is going to Jerusalem. There's the racial tension. There's, okay, he's not going to Gerizim where he, we think they ought to worship. They're going to Jerusalem. Um, and Samaritans were known to, at best, ignore pilgrims. At worst, injure them. So James and John don't take kindly to this. 
And they say, Jesus, let's call down fire, just as Elijah did. I mean, we just saw Elijah up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's call down fire. <laughs> so here's the plus side. I mean, James and John really believe Jesus would allow them to do this. It's They had faith enough that, hey, we just saw the Mount of Transfiguration. We just saw the light. He can do anything he wants to. And not only that, they may have even had expectations, just like Elijah passed on his mantle to Elisha, and Elisha had that double portion, that, that extra something where he was able to do just as much and even greater things. Maybe they expected they themselves were going to get that too. So ooh, ooh, we got to try it out. We, let's, let's have yeah. some fun with this. Give us some fire. You know, and the funny thing is John and James are known as the sons of thunder, probably because they were just loud and boisterous. So the sons of thunder want to call down the lightning, right? <laughs> um, and the, the bad part of this, though, is they assume Jesus agrees with their hatred of the Samaritan people. And that's always a dangerous thing. When, when I assume that God hates all the people I do, then I'm probably not listening to God. If I were teaching this, <laughs> another hint, if I were teaching this, I th- think I'd ask the question, who, who are some people that as Christians, we assume that God hates them just because we do? And there's a lot of different directions that can go as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Be ready not to go off onto any rabbit trails. But we have a lot of people, a lot of different segments of society that we assume God hates them because we have some issues with their lifestyle, okay? Or we have some issues with ways they believe. So God does not hate Democrats. God does not hate Republicans. God does not hate gay people. God does not hate people who've had abortions. I mean, sometimes our emotions get up about all those issues. And before we know it, we're angry. Mm-hmm. If we're not careful, we're assuming that, that God is angry at all the same people that we're angry at. And we've got to be very careful when we see God as being on our side. Yes. Uh, as, a, as a tangent, or maybe alongside of that, I would also say, if I were teaching this, mm, I would encourage you to look at all of the action verbs that are happening, because there's a lot of looking. There's a lot of, of, of observing. There's a lot of watching. There's also a lot of movement, going certain places, going other places. Look at those verbs and see what's happening with, with that action, with looking and with going. There's, there's something there that, 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 that Luke is really inviting us to see with our eyes. As Jesus has set his eyes and looking towards Jerusalem, ultimately looking towards the cross, toward redemption, the Samaritans are looking for something for themselves. The disciples are looking for power. They're, they're looking for, maybe in the right way, to see God move, but, but also they're looking for their own agenda. Only Jesus in the picture has his eyes set on redemption, and no one else does. And maybe if we reset our adjustment to look at Jesus instead of looking at everyone else around us, yeah. we can line up with what God's vision is for us as well. Yeah, we need to make sure that we're, instead of asking God to be on our side, we need to make sure we're on God's side. You know, mm-hmm. Instead of asking him to, you know, play on our team, we we play on his team, which means God's not done with people yet. All the people that we condemn in our culture, God's not done with them. And to practice, if God is being patient with them, shouldn't we be patient as well? And in fact, you'll see the payoff of this all the way in Acts chapter eight, where Philip goes back into Samaria, and there's a great harvest of people who come to Christ. Now, I don't think that would have happened. Had James and John had their way and they called down fire, that would have created only more animosity, more hatred, more distance. They would have heard the name of Jesus and it would have been repugnant. But because of Jesus' patience here, the payoff would come years later. So when, uh, when I teach this on Sunday, 
I'm going to hit a couple of points, and I'm not going to really tease them out here. But one is we should not settle for the world's definition of hatred. Mm. Um, we, we sometimes we, we look at the hatred of the rest of the world, and we, we settle for hatred. We should also not, not settle for the world's definition of love. Um, love in, a, in the world's definition is often tied to acceptance, that I must accept what everyone else does. Well, that's not really love. Love is wanting, willing, and working towards somebody's best interest. Um, and so, um, you know, we shouldn't settle for the way the world hates. We also shouldn't settle for the world's definition of love. And we'll tease that out a whole lot more, but what pulls those things two together, pull those two things together, is that God is patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. so if God is patient with people, dadgummit, we should be patient with people as well. And that's hard, because we, we want quick fixes, we want to call down the fire, but we should want more than that to see fruit from people's lives. Absolutely. Well, you got anything else? So, I mean, I think the last thing is that because Jesus had patience, or maybe being aware of the fact that Jesus had patience, we can also look at this passage with all the movement, looking at all the action. Jesus looked, Jesus sent, his disciples went, his disciples came back, his disciples went to another village. As there's this movement taking shape, part of our, our, our learning to grow closer to Jesus is in movement. It's, it's less about, there is a destination, we're moving towards that destination, but we get to learn from Jesus in those small steps that we take along the way. And sometimes we make mistakes. Jesus is still there to remind us, it's okay, here's the real direction. And so there's something in there worth discussing, and maybe even just asking, what are some bumps you've hit along the road, and how have you seen God inviting you to still circle back to Him and what His agenda is in the middle of those bumps? You know, I'd have, I would have loved to have seen the look on James and John's face. I mean, they're expecting Jesus to be angry at the Samaritans. Whoa! You know, He's, he's angry at us. And I think there's an application there that you know, God, God may surprise us. It, Jesus may be angry at the way Christians are being angry at the world, and he mm-hmm. wheels around on us and says, hey, I need you to look at your social media feed and close your mouth. <laughs> yes. You know, go, go on to another topic. I need you to, to think about, you know, conversations that you're having where you're heaping hatred on other people. And if you're going to heap hatred on other people, then don't tell them you're my follower because this probably doesn't reflect well on me. Well, I'm getting a little angry right now, you know, but, but Jesus here, he gets angry at his disciples for how careless they are in being angry at the world and not aligning themselves with the patience of God. Aren't we glad God has been patient with us? Shouldn't we extend that same graciousness to other people as well? Amen. That's all I got to say about that. All right. So if anybody out there named their kid George Jetson, Brad wants to hear about it. I'd like to meet George Jetson. I would like to meet George Jetson, too. Uh-huh. Uh, birthday, July 31st, 2022. What's going to happen next? All right. Well, I think that's all we have here for the Pastor's Cut podcast. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and always. Amen. Amen.